Welcome to our next uh, Do More podcast. Uh, today, uh, as a guest, I'm interviewing Nicole. And uh, Nicole's joined us from Cape Town. Uh, she flew in this morning, so lovely to have you here, Nicole. Lovely to be here. Yeah, and uh, our conversation today is going to be around Dumont Foundation's journey uh, as we tiptoeing our way into climate. And uh, But we'll get onto that in a moment. Um, as we know, we always start the sessions with a playful check-in and a little playful check-in question. And today's question to you, Nicole, is if you had to choose to live in a very icy cold place like Antarctica or live in the desert, Namib Desert for instance, which would you choose? Oh my goodness. Okay, and we'll come back to that at the end of our session. Don't answer the question yet. Okay. <laughs> so we'll get to that just now. You know that I'm not going to be able to say anything else because all I'm going to be thinking, <laughs> thinking about is Where question. do I want to live? Okay, no. Well, you can pause up for now. First of all, maybe you want to tell us um, what is what is the work that you do, and and how have you come to do the work that you're doing with the Do More? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've struggled for a long time with that question because I do so many things, and then recently I've found what I'm hoping is a catchphrase. Okay. I am a professional dot connector. Okay. And so what I mean by that is that I help organizations and individuals to figure out a path to get from where they are to where they want to be. And that can be absolutely anything. And I really thrive in helping people figure out mm. how mm. to get to where they need to be. Yeah. Um, how I came to work with the Do More Foundation is, oh, I don't even remember how many years ago, but my previous role was working with Innovation Edge and their mm. social impact investor focused on early childhood development, as you know. And, you know, we started uh, or we connected then. Mm. And then when I left Innovation Edge and started going out on my own and doing my own thing, I started working with the Do More Foundation to support on a number of areas, as you know, which is why you asked that playful question. One of them is about <laughs> embedding play within the fabric of the organization, also in advocacy. Mm. And then, as you were saying so eloquently, tiptoeing into climate. So that's mm. going to be, mm. as you know, my focus with the Do More Foundation this year. Yeah. And, um, I mean, you, you, you also are part of another organization um, and you're vice chair. Um, yes. Tell us about that. Yes, yes, yes. So, yes, this comes to the, the difficulty in describing everything that I do. Um, so, I sit in a number of boards mm -hmm. and I'm the vice chairperson of Capita. Right. Now, Capita is a US-based organization. They okay. are a think tank. They are nonpartisan, independent, and their whole purpose is to encourage flourishing. And when they speak about flourishing, they are imagining a world in which all young children and their families are able to live lives that are purposeful, meaningful, and in which they thrive. Mm, mm. Amazing. And um, which kind of takes us into the, the space of climate. Mm -hmm. um, and and um, what do you think are the like, big misconceptions around uh, climate? And um, how do you think we should be thinking about climate, uh, like mitigation, adaption, um, kind of strategies? <laughs> are you going to come, you know, pick me out on that. But... Um, 
in South Africa. So, yeah. <laughs> so for the listeners and the viewers, the reason that I'm giggling and Warren knows that I'm going to, as he said, <laughs> pick him out about that, is because one of my pet peeves is uh, jargon. And so I'm going to be challenging Warren in this conversation to try and find more simple language. Definitely. So, which actually takes me to the first point to answer your question. I think one of the biggest misconceptions comes from this language of climate change and people mm. not really understanding what it is. The way that I've been able to get to grips with it and how I often articulate it is that we as human beings, and in fact all living things, live on this earth. Yeah. And we live in a particular environment and we live within this climate. Mm. And this climate is changing. Very mm. simply put, it's getting hotter. Mm. So as all living organisms, we've been designed to live within a particular temperature range. The challenge mm. right now is that the earth is getting hotter. Mm. And that simply put, is climate change and changing climate. I think mm. one of the biggest misconceptions is that climate change with all of these words like adaptation, mitigation, mm. loss and degradation, confuse people into thinking that it's this big separate additional issue to yeah. other existing issues when in fact climate is the context in which we live. And these issues are real, mm. unfortunately they're not separate. To answer the second part of your question, why it matters and it's going to matter increasingly to the work of the Dumo Foundation, is that, of course, the earth getting hotter and the impacts of that affect all people mm. and disproportionately affect children. So mm. to really break things down, I'm thinking about and speaking about things like getting the, the weather or the temperature getting very hot. Yes. Things like lots of floods, like you've been having very recently in KZN. Mm. Mm. Things like droughts. And all of these things are going to have an impact disproportionately on young children because young children are not just small adults. Their bodies are built differently yes. and they aren't able to cope as well. And I'm going to say as well because it's not like mm. adults can cope mm. that well either mm. with extreme heat. Mm. But uh, it's very, very difficult and it's going to become increasingly difficult as the earth heats up for them to cope. And I mean, mm. I could go on, but let me stop there so that we can yeah, get yeah, into yeah. aspects of it. Yeah. And I think uh, I, I think what's going to be really challenging for, for Dumo Foundation is the communities within which we work. So we're also working with more disadvantaged communities who are already uh, on the back foot in terms of what they have available to them and now having to combat things like climate issues that they're facing, right, yeah. um, is, is, is going to be quite a struggle. What, um, what, what I think was so amazing, so both, um, just for the audience's sake, um, both Nicole and I were invited to, to COP28, um, and I think it was an incredible opportunity to, mm -hmm. to be with global leaders, um, and I, I, I think also just represent the work that we're doing um, in, in this country. Um, do you want to talk to us a little bit about what you, you shared at, uh, at, at COP28 in terms of the work that, and I, I know you used examples of what Dumor was doing. Uh, do you want to just talk to us a little bit about that, that kind of experience and, and that kind of work that we're doing? Yeah, so one of the, the panels that I was fortunate to be on at COP28, in fact the first one, was looking at the role of environmental education in mitigating food waste and food loss. Mm. And the reason that I was invited to be on the panel was to speak from the perspective of early childhood. And the point that I made was that, as we know, the sooner or the earlier that you can begin with behavior change, mm. the better. Mm. And so I made the point that in the case of young children, 
it's very difficult to say to a four-month-old or a six-month-old, listen, change your behavior mm. because they have people who are caring for them, those people being their parents, and of course, as they get a little bit older, going into a crash daycare slash ECD center, and then the ECD's teacher becomes their sort of caretaker. Mm. And the point that I was making is if those parents and those, let's call them caretakers in general, if they themselves are not aware of the behaviors that need to change or uh, understand about the importance of conservation and the environment or um, making sure that food doesn't go to waste, it's going to be yeah. very difficult for them to pass on those knowledge or that knowledge and those practices to young children. Mm. And so the example I gave um, is of the Eat, Love, Play, Talk program that the Dumo Foundation initiated and is rolling out across a number of communities. And yeah. essentially what it is is a parent or caregiver nutrition program. One of the things that makes it so unique is the fact that it's taking existing messaging, existing health messaging, existing nutrition messaging, and repackaging and repurposing it in a way that makes sense, first of all, to the teachers in these early learning programs or ECD centers, mm. and then to the to the parents as well, and making mm. it super practical. Mm. I find so often, very, for, for very good intentions, when people or organizations come up with programs, they make them overly complex mm. and didactic. And mm. what I mean by that, I use jargon. What I mean by that is sort of being very specific about the way something needs to be done. Yes. The difference with Eat, Love, Play, Talk is, as I already said, using existing material yes. and leaving it open to the teacher and to the parent to be able to relay the information in a way that makes sense to them, to them yes. in their context, yes. which is so unique unique and so different and yes. so these children are learning from a really early age yeah. why good nutrition matters without even using the language of good nutrition or mm. why mm. early stimulation happens and again not mm. using those words why having conversations like we having mm. but of course with parent and child why they matter so that was yes. just one of the yes. examples that I, I spoke about yes. Um, yes. at COP28 yeah um, wh wh one of the things I, I loved hearing at COP28 as well is um, you know people uh, and children will not appreciate nature until they come to love nature and that that whole engagement with nature and and uh, yeah I, I, I think that was for me it, it, it really struck a chord in terms of yeah it makes sense you know um, kids that yeah. don't grow up with pets don't come to love pets you know um, yeah you so you're so right and I mean beyond the embedding of that appreciation early on through experiencing nature or exactly. having a pet there's also yes. the actual benefit of spending time in nature mm. the actual biological benefit to young children mm. their ability to build up and it's the same with pets to build up their immune system mm. play yeah. in nature is so beneficial free play in nature and what I mean mm. by that is children deciding how to play when they're yes. in nature yeah. is so beneficial it yeah. helps them to figure out how to make decisions it mm. helps them to be less risk averse to take mm. chances to mm. explore on their own mm. And those are some of the things that are very unique to playing in nature. Yes. And one of the challenges of climate change, mm. the one mm. of the challenges with things getting very hot outside and not having adequate shade, for example, naturally people would want to caretakers, excuse me, would want to keep their children inside yes. for good reason. Yes. Yes. But we need to think about that because yeah, yeah, then they'll be exactly. losing out on the benefits of playing outside, yeah. right? Yeah, no, absolutely. So... Um, what are the next steps um, in our climate journey? 
Um, and I, I know you, you're helping us lead this from a foundation perspective. So what are, for the audience's sake, what, what are the next steps that, um, that you're seeing going forward? Mm. So I'll keep it sort of very high level and mm. speak about two very practical next steps. The first one is that we're wanting to, as Do More Foundation and Capita, come together to lead and uh, working title, so forgive the name, but um, Early Childhood Climate Action Alliance. If anyone out there can think of a better <laughs> name, you're welcome. You're welcome. Pop it in the comments. Um, and the point of this alliance is to bring together different parts of society to really think about how do we center young children's very unique needs within this changing context of climate change. Right. So, I mean, I'm saying it's a, it's a simple thing or it's um, one practical next step. There are many other steps mm. in it, but that's a big thing that we want to do this year. Sure. And then tied to that and uh, separate from that, actually, is the Dumal Foundation's own work and own support of the communities that we already support. Yeah. And... Learning from them. I mean, you spoke mm. earlier about uh, communities in low-income and marginalized yeah. areas being disproportionately impacted, and they mm. are. Conversely, they have also had to struggle and adapt and adjust for a very long time. Mm. And I'm mm. very excited about the work that Doom was going to do to learn from those communities without using the prohibitive language of climate change. Mm. What are some of the innovations they've already come up with yes. to help them to harvest water, to help mm. them to find more shade? Mm. And we're going to be supporting first learning from and listening to and mm. then working with and supporting communities to figure out how can we support them in being more resilient in the face of climate mm. or climate change. Mm. That sounds, uh, I, I'm very excited about that work and I, I think we've already, we've already started on that journey, which is, mm. um, yeah, uh, very exciting to kind of lead that really uh, and, and particularly I think the, the role that we play as an organization as a backbone role um, supporting climate um, and uh, you, you gonna, gonna, <laughs> the jargon again, um, <laughs> but yeah, so so supporting communities in in that work, and I mean it's, it, it is a reality that we're all facing, right? Um, yeah, I mean we're seeing it. Uh, the ravages of, I mean, last night we had horrendous floods um, oh. all around KZN. Wow. Um, so it it really is a reality. Yeah. Nicole, thank you. Um, it's it's amazing. Last time I saw you was at COP uh, yeah. in Dubai, um, and it's lovely to see you here in Durban um, to answer some of the questions around our little um, well, our, our journey into into climate. And I'm sure we're going to have more podcasts in the future around climate specifically. Um, but we need to get back to the original question. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, desert or the ice? The ice. Really? At the back of my mind, I've been thinking about this throughout our entire conversation. <laughs> okay, good. And the reason for the ice is because I've recently come to personally feel the impact and the positive effects of ice bathing. And so I figure <laughs> if I move to an icy place, I could continue on that journey and oh, develop my resilience. And yeah. so it really wouldn't, the cold wouldn't matter anymore. Here's <laughs> something positive. The problem is that I am a bit worried about the impacts of climate change on my cold hey, environment. Got, yes. How long? is it going to stay cold exactly how long are you <laughs> going to be able to have ice plungers <laughs> anyway well thank you Nicole thank you for joining me today uh, I hope you found it interesting and um, yeah uh, follow our, our, our climate journey um, as the Do More Foundation and uh, I look forward to joining you in other podcasts going forward Wait.